0: Well, if you had met me six years ago when I first moved out to Philadelphia, uh, you would have hated me. Uh, I'm just being honest. Maybe you hate me now, but I think most of you would like me, okay. Um, but here's what you would have thought. You would have been like, what an arrogant, self-righteous jerk that guy is. Um, and you would have been right. Like when I first moved up here, I met people and I was like, look at these people. They're a mess. Look at their sinful lives, look at their bad theology the way they vote, look at the way that they live, look at their habits, look at their lifestyle. Oh my gosh, these we people are bad. Uh, and then when I got up here, I started a journey into what it really meant to be a disciple of Jesus. I thought myself a Christian for a long time, uh, but I don't think I could have really honestly said I was a disciple, a student of how Jesus lived in love, an apprentice of his way of life. I knew a lot of things about him, but really I didn't look like him. I knew a lot of things about him, but I didn't love people the way that he loved people. I believe, I began to realize I believed the right things, but I wasn't becoming like him. I wasn't living and loving like him. And so I realized, yes, the people around me here in Philadelphia have a lot of problems, but there's a lot bigger problem, and that's me. I was the biggest problem. And so I dug in, became a student of Jesus's way of life. I tried to apprentice under him. Being with him, becoming like him, so that I could do what he did—love people—and that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. For the past five years, I feel like I've been becoming a person of love like Jesus was. Um, my apprenticeship to Jesus may be less judgmental, more understanding, more caring. I found that by practicing the ways of Jesus, I became more patient with people who didn't look like me or act like me or think like me. I became more forgiving of people. I began to share meals with people who didn't have anything in common with me, who old Alex would have been offended by, but now I could actually build relationships with people. And I found that by loving people, they were so much more open to talk about Jesus than when I despised them. You'll never reach people that you despise instead of love. Um... Then 2020 hit. I was going along. I was becoming a person of love. I was like, look, I'm growing. I'm becoming more like Jesus. Then 2020 hit, and uh, I lost friendships. I had conflicts with my family. My wife and I were forced to be home together all the time, and we began to bicker and argue about stuff we'd never bickered and argued about before. People that I used to um, have the patience to love all of a sudden seemed completely unlovable there were people that I was like, I still love them, but I really don't like them. I don't, don't wanna be around them. And I don't think I'm alone. I'm willing to bet that you felt your relationship to be strained as well. Over 2020 and 2021, and it looks like probably 2022. The stress of finances due to the pandemic mixed with the disconnected feeling of quarantine has led to the implosion of many of the relationships that kept us sane. I had a friendship that was for 15 years we were friends, and uh in early 2021, he's like, you have not been there for me. Like I needed you to. I don't want to talk to you everywhere. Wow. Like there have been major fallouts from this time. And I think that even in the relationships that have stayed together, they just don't feel like the best version of our relationship anymore. If we're honest. Like a lot of us are stressed and strained. We all feel like a slightly worse version of ourselves. And that plays out in our relationships every single time. And it's not just us, you know, we're not isolated here. The whole city is feeling this. The homicide rates are the highest they have ever been. Today there have been 427 homicides. I just looked that up this morning. There were three more over the weekend. We're at 430 something now. And 14% increase in 2020. In September, in Philadelphia, a woman pulled a gun on her server when the server asked her to order her meal online on the app because they weren't giving out paper menus anymore. Um, Some women from Texas were visiting New York City. They got in an argument with their hostess at a restaurant, and they beat her until she went to the hospital. A Connecticut mother punched a bus driver. This all happened in September of this year. A California woman was charged with a felony for punching a Southwest flight attendant and knocking her teeth out. We're all a little tense right now. We're not our best selves. We've been stressed and stretched and strained, and your relationships are probably feeling it. So, first of all, if you're feeling the strain in your relationships, you're not alone. This is everybody feeling this. We're all going through. Psychologists in a recent Time magazine article uh, weren't surprised by this behavior. They say the long separation has made social interactions more fraught, more dangerous, more volatile. The combination of a contagious life-threatening disease and a series of unprecedented life-altering changes in the roles of human engagement have left people anxious, confused, and resentful. Anxious, confused, and resentful are not the grounds for healthy relationships. They're the grounds for dysfunctional relationships. Our relationships are crumbling. People are outraged over everything. Relationships are the most valuable thing in your life, but it's the most fragile thing in your life. So you have to guard it carefully. You have to handle it carefully. And right now, the fragility of our relationships is on display for everyone to see. Your work relationships, your neighborhood relationships, Your uh, romantic relationships, your friend relationships, all relationships are especially fragile right now. So I think what we need to do is we need to go back to school. We need to learn at the feet of Jesus how to become people of love. Because you don't automatically become a person of love just because you say you're a Christian. Uh, Just like you don't automatically lose weight by saying you're on a diet. You know, like, I'm on a diet, and then just eat whatever you want, you're still not gonna lose weight, right? You don't automatically lose weight by reading a diet book, or even by watching an exercise video. like, those people are really working out. I can feel the sweat right through the screen, you know? (laughs) Becoming people of love is not a passive action, Becoming people of love is a cooperative action between you and Jesus working together. It's not going to happen automatically. There's some work we have to put in, there's some discipline we have to do. If we want our relationships to get strong again instead of strained, we have to work at becoming people of love. The second law of thermodynamics anybody know it? <laughs> no, you know, just pop, right? Um, it says that everything in the universe tends towards disorder. Like, if you leave something alone, does it get better? No, it gets worse. Like, you leave something out in the rain, it doesn't magically get more polished and in better shape. You know, I left some tools out here, working in the gardens, at the art center here, and I found them a couple weeks later, and they were rusted and ruined. I couldn't even get the shears open anymore. You leave things alone, and they fall apart. And I think this applies to relationships as well. No relationship gets better with less effort or less energy Put it. Here. You have to be intentional about your relationships or they will tend towards disorder. They will tend to end in disaster. Our relationships are where our, our apprenticeship to Jesus is lived out. Everything that Jesus teaches about becoming a student, living and loving like Him, it's always in the context of relationships. If your spiritual pursuits, are not making you into a person of love, you're not apprenticing under Jesus. And so I had to stop and look at myself and I'm like, after 2020 and 2021, the person I'm becoming is not a person of love, it's a person of outrage not a person of love. It's a person of hate. It's not a person of love. It's a person of frustration and impatience and anger. So something else or someone else is disciplining. me. See, something is always disciplining the way that you think about things and the way that you live your life. Maybe it's your favorite thinker. Maybe it's your favorite news channel. Maybe it's the media that you watch. But no matter what is doing it, you're always becoming like something else because of what's coming into your life. And what I realized was, I haven't been apprenticing under Jesus. There's been a lot of other things influencing me, but not him. We're becoming the people that naturally occur as a result of our daily habits. We're either learning how to love or we unlearning how to love. I had a friend a few years ago, and uh, every couple of weeks he would be like, hey, let's take coffee so I can tell you about everything I hate about Christianity. And I was like, sure, let's do it. You know, I was right in the heart of becoming a person of love, so I was great with this, you know? And uh, I would buy him a coffee and he would sit down and talk about his frustration with religion, and most of the things he said, dead right. I mean, he was absolutely right. Um, but he repeated one question to me every week, How can people who serve a God of love, who read a book that commands you to love your neighbor, so often be people filled with hate? And unfortunately, the Christians that he encountered were a lot more people of hate than they were people of love. And so he was like, I want nothing to do with Christianity as a result. That's a really good question. How come some of the worst relationships I've ever had are with other Christians? How come when I think about the most hateful people I've ever had to deal with, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them were Christians? There's a large segment of Christians who have learned a lot about Jesus. They know so much information. Man, Bible information. They could get on Jeopardy and answer any Bible question, right? But they haven't become like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this is what I want us to stop and think about in this message this morning. Is Do I know a lot about Jesus or do I love a lot like Jesus? Because it's a lot easier to learn a lot of information. It's a lot harder to love like him. Information alone doesn't produce transformation. And I don't want to just know about a person of love named Jesus, I want to become a person of love like Jesus. And becoming a person of love isn't passive. So, we're going to explore what we have to actively do in order to love like Jesus, to become people of agape, that self-sacrificing love that we talked about a few weeks ago, just like Jesus was. So, over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about all kinds of different relationships, all the major relationships in your life. We're going to talk about how apprenticeship to Jesus would shape these in different social structures. In our life. We're going to talk about co workers. We're going to talk about our romantic relationships. We're going to talk about how men and women work together and have relationships. We're in, this is going to be an ongoing, in-depth study in Paul's letters to the Ephesians, especially chapters 5 and 6. And this morning, I want to focus on the first two verses. Of Ephesians chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen. If you have an app, you can open it up. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Follow God's example. Walk in the way. Now, written around 62 AD from prison, Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, and he talks a great deal about relationships all throughout the entire book. We're just getting the last few chapters. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul describes how Jesus brings the entire story of humanity to its end point, to its climax. This is like where humanity has always been headed. And then in the second half of the letter, chapters 4 through 6, he says, okay, now that Jesus has brought humanity to this focus, focus point that it's been building to ever since the beginning, how does that reality affect everyday relationships in our lives? How does this climax of humanity in Jesus look on the ground in our everyday now, Ephesus was a wealthy and prosperous port city. It was a center of culture for the Roman Empire, second only to Rome. I think I have a picture of Ephesus. Yeah, perfect. These are ruins that are still there in Turkey today. These beautiful ruins. If you just have a few minutes, Google ancient Ephesus and uh, beautiful ruins still on display. It had a elaborate temples, it had a huge library. It was. The center of culture. It was like the main line of the Roman Empire, right? If Rome was Philly, you know, it was the main line right there. It was rich and prosperous, full of schools and education. And Paul spent several years there, we know from the book of Acts, establishing a church. Now, let's dig into what he says in these first two verses. In verse two, notice what Paul says here. He says, Walk in the way of love. Um, The author uses the word translated here, walk six times in just chapters four through six. Paul is not somebody given to overuse a word because he can't think of another word. He's very smart. He's very literate. He would often like use diverse words to describe the same thing. If he's using the same word over and over again, he's trying to tell us something. If you see a repeated word in the Greek or Hebrew in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it's trying to clue us into something. And the Greek word here is paraphatea. Um, That's not Perry the platypus and a potato. Um, That's really what I thought when I thought of Perry Potato. Okay, sorry. Um, Perry Potato means to walk around. It literally means to walk it out. Even though it's commonly used in the New Testament for literally walking, it's commonly used in the way that we use the phrase, you can talk the talk, but you can't walk the walk. You know, you know that phrase like, you, you talk big, but can you walk it, can you live it out? And that's how Paul is using it in chapters 4 through 6. Now the first time he uses it in the letter to the Ephesians that we have here, he uses it in Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God the Father prepared ahead of time in order that you would walk in them. You say, okay, Alex, why do I care about this? He used the word walk a lot. He's talking about walking it out. He says we need to walk out our love. The first time he uses it, he says it's uh, these good works that God's prepared ahead of time. So who cares? I think what he's saying is our relationships are the good works that God had in mind that he prepared for us to live out his love again in our lives. God prepared some relationships for you to do the good work of loving people the relationships you have are by accident they're by divine design you have a divine assignment to convey the love of god to people through your relationships if the meaning of life is to love god and to share his love with people god has set up some relationships in your life to be the avenue for you to do good work to spread his love in the world and what is god's example for us to follow In verse 1, the imitators of God, um, well, we are to love people like Jesus loved us. How did Jesus love us? He went to the cross and died for us. As Jesus went to the cross sacrificially, we're to go to our relationships in the same way sacrificially. Our relationships are our cross where we go to die in order to help people, to love people, to serve people. In uh, Luke, Jesus warned his disciples, his students, he said, Luke 9.23, whoever wants to be my disciple, my apprentice, the student of the way that I live and love, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Oftentimes you hear people they are like, man, I lost my job, but it's just my cross to bear, you know, or I got a bad health report, it's my cross to bear. That's not seem to be what Jesus is talking about. The cross isn't the things in our life that we don't like that are hard, it's the end of our self-willing. It's denying ourselves, it's denying what we want to do what others want, what God wants. Relationships teach us to kill our selfishness and live selflessly like God does. So, if that's true, that means our relationships are the battlegrounds where cosmic spiritual battles are fought and won and lost. You're not just getting your spouse or your partner a cup of water when you're tired, you're not just resolving a deep issue you'd rather ignore. You're not just forgiving an offense that, that, that hurt us deeply. You're toppling spiritual powers in an unseen realm. You're doing the good work that was prepared for you before you were even created. You're doing the good works that God envisioned us doing as students of his son, Jesus. And Paul thinks that the way that we do all this is by becoming people of love, people who love people like God loves us. All things that we should walk in the way of love just as Jesus loved us. Now the term the way is also really interesting because um, the way was an early Christian way of representing Jesus' teachings and those who followed his teachings. It was a first century term for being a student of Jesus' way of life, the way that he lived and lived. And Paul is saying he wants people to learn to live and love like Jesus, and that will affect every sphere of relationship that they have. Relationships with their co-workers, and in romance, and with friends, and with family. More education won't make your relationships better. It'd be nuts, right? Like, if you just read enough books, that was my answer to everything, because I'm pretty much a robot in human form. I was like, if I just read enough books about something, then it'll get better but that doesn't end up fixing what's inside me. It fixes what's up here, but I can know the right thing to do and still willfully choose the wrong thing. Um, That's what makes relationships so complicated, right? It's not just more knowledge that we need. Your relationships don't get better with more money. Bill and Melinda Gates, you know, they've got more money than anybody, right? But that relationship did not work. They split up this year. More money doesn't make your relationship work. Only exposure to an emulation of Jesus can make us people of love, which will make our relationships healthier. Now, at this point, we say, wait a minute, Alex. Some of the healthiest relationships I know are atheists. They don't even believe in God. So how do you explain that? I think if we look at their relationship, even though they deny God with their minds, I think we would find practices in their relationships Practices that make their relationships strong that are actually practices of Jesus. They might deny God with their mind, but their relationships will reflect, unconsciously, if they have a healthy relationship, unconsciously, their actions will affirm his teachings. Healthy relationships look like the way Jesus lived. Now, a healthy relationship is the result of two fulfilled people mutually giving and taking from each other. And I'm going to try to do this with uh, spilling too much water. This is always a challenge for me. Um, But essentially, in your relationships, okay, let's say you have a husband and a wife. And if you're both full already, well, then you just mutually give to each other and... You're not really having a net gain, but it feels like your fulfillment is multiplied. You're both full, but when you come together in a relationship, you feel more full. Like you were like, I was already fulfilled and full, but given to each other just made me feel even more full. Like I didn't even know I could feel more full than I already was. You're sharing with each other out of your personal fullness, and as a result, your fullness is multiplied exponentially. Um, but then here comes a year comes along like, 2020, 2021, and it just empties you out. The things that used to fill you up are gone, and you're just empty. And so what usually happens in a situation like this is, well, you're empty, but you have good relationships with people who are full, right? And they say, you know what? They're not giving me anything. They're not making me feel more full, but I love them, and I can share a little bit of my fullness with them. And you're like, okay, we're still doing okay, right? Then a year like 2020 comes along, and everybody's empty. Everybody's feeling empty, right? And then what do you do? You get together and you're like, can you share some of your fullness with me? No, I'm empty. Can you share some of your fullness with me? No, I'm empty. And it just becomes very frustrating. The relationships that used to make you feel so full and fulfilled because you were already full and fulfilled, all of a sudden now those are frustrating relationships. Um, you go to the relationship that used to be so satisfying in the back and you demand, like, fill me up, I'm empty, I'm struggling. But if they're empty too, they don't have any of their fulfillment to spare. And with a year like we've had, or a year or two that we've had, where everyone's exhausted, everyone's energy and emotional levels are exhausted, they're feeling empty. And empty people can never have full relationships. And a lot of times we're frustrated when our relationship is struggling and we're frustrated because we're empty and we can't come empty to a relationship and expect it to be a full relationship.
1: Simon Rigo,
0: the chief psychologist at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York, says when a relationship is healthy, there's a balance of giving and getting. There's a synergy where two people interact, a nice allocation of giving and receiving our relationships flourish when they're watered from a deep, personal well. I think a lot of times we're like, well, I don't empty, so I'm going to go to this relationship to get filled up. When your well is dry, you try to get water from your relationships. If the person you're in a relationship with, their well is dry too, they'll feel like you're sucking the last bit of life out of them to try to get a breath of air for yourself. Now, because they are no longer giving anything to you, and they are in fact asking you for everything that you would no longer have, every little thing they do will begin to annoy you, and small things that you used to overlook will now seem like hills to die on. Anybody? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody comes some relationships that feel like that? Um, yeah, me too. Uh, I definitely I feel that. As I was studying this reading, I'm like, oh, that's what's happening. <laughs> I'm empty. They're empty, and. We're just trying to suck each other dry. Um, So here's what Paul suggests. In verses 3 through 20, Paul says, here's what people of love do to live full, (coughs) excuse me, "to to be full people who can share their life and love with others. People who can walk out the love of Jesus in their relationships. In verses 1 through 2, He says, cultivate your relationship with God by emulating Jesus. Do what Jesus did, be with Him, become like Him, do what He did. Um, In verses 3 through 6, he talks about eliminating destructive practices. Destructive practices in our lives actually suck fullness out of our lives. In verses 7 through 14, he talks about developing boundaries for toxic relationships. Toxic relationships always take, but never give. It's not just that they're empty. It's literally that they fill up by emptying others. Um, In verses 15 through 16, he talks about using your time well, saying no to most things so you can say yes to the best things. Sometimes we're empty because we wasted all our time on things that don't actually matter, and as a result, we have no time or energy for the things and the people that do. In verses 17 through 18, he tells us to avoid escapism. If you run from how empty you're feeling, you'll also run from everything that can fill you up, and you'll just end up running from emptiness to emptiness. Um, You know when you watch Netflix and you're like, good, I had no energy or effort, so I just laid there on the couch and watched that because it required nothing of me? It also doesn't give anything to you. You don't get any better. You don't get any more full. You just stay as empty as you were. And finally, in verse 19 through 20, he says, you need to sing, you need to make music, and you need to give thanks. He essentially tells us to feed our soul with delight. If we wanna be full people who have a full relationships, you have to feed yourself with delight. And this week on our social media pages, I'm gonna flesh out each of these. Each day I'm gonna take one and just develop it a little more with some social media posts and videos rather than dragging it all out here. But just real quickly, I want to end up these things because everything that follows in the next few weeks are going to come from this basis. If we're not full people of love, going to Jesus to find delight and become like Him, all of our relationships are going to feel. We can either complain that our relationships aren't satisfying our desires anymore, or we can begin to see that our relationships are the spiritual work that God designed for us to do, and we need to be full people, full of Him, full of deep satisfaction and fulfillment in our lives in order to love people well. God made us to love people and to broadcast His love to the world, so I hope you join me in becoming people of love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that you put your love on display for the world to see by coming to earth and dying, by defeating the dark forces in this world that just hate life, who hate joy, who always want to drive us down, and you defeated them all, not with an act of violence, but with an act of surrender and self-sacrifice in Go Help us to love in our relationships like you loved us. Help us to recognize that this is the spiritual work that you want us to do. Not to accomplish some great task for you, but to love the people around us. That is the greatest spiritual task we could do. to Show your love to the people who live on the street with us, who go to work with us, the people who live with us, Lord, help us to love life. Remind us of your love and help us to do the active work of becoming full emotional people so that out of our emotional fullness, we can love others. I pray this.